Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In part three of his treatise on the basis of morality, Arthur Schopenhauer is going to discuss justice and one of the very interesting discussions that is taking place in the heart of that chapter is going to be how justice and injustice, rightness and wrongness, literally Gerechtigkeit and Ungerechtigkeit can admit of quantitative differences. Now, he begins this part by saying, with every unjust action, the wrong is qualitatively the same. Namely, it involves some sort of injury to another, and then he lists four different ways in which this can occur. This is not a like absolutely comprehensive list, but it gives you an idea of the scope to the person in themselves as a person. So perhaps to their body, perhaps to their mind, also to their freedom, interfering with the freedom that they ought to have or to their property or to their honor. And Schopenhauer is saying that considered in a qualitative way, something either is right or it is wrong. And there's no qualitative difference between different wrongs, different injuries. But quantitatively, the amount of wrong can differ. He says, quantitatively, it can be very different. Such difference in the amount of wrong. And then he goes on to say something that's very interesting about this. It's recognized in real life. What is the evidence for the fact that it's recognized in real life? We make these distinctions. We say that, well, they both were wrong, but this person who used greater force and, you know, killed the person and this one just injured the other person, it was more wrong for them to do that. And Schopenhauer is going to say somewhat implausibly that this has been overlooked by moralists, right? It has not been properly investigated by moralists, though it's everywhere recognized in real life. Now, we should pause here for a moment and ask ourselves, is he being a bit polemical or hyperbolic? I would say, yes, he is. This certainly does apply to some systems of morality, which say things like, well, if you're doing something wrong, it's just as wrong to do this thing, this small thing over here, which has very few consequences as it is to do this massive thing over here. They're equally wrong, right? And we could say, we could interpret Kant as saying something like that. We could say that certain Christian rigorists are saying things like that. The Stoics famously have a Stoic paradox where they say that all goods are equal, all evils are equal. So there's, you know, there's some people who are not recognizing this. And he goes on and he says that this is not just about injustice. This is also about the justice of actions. It can vary quantitatively. That is in a kind of number or amount. Now, is this as simple as like tallying things up or maybe making a checklist or something like that? No. And as a matter of fact, at one point in here, he is going to say that the measure of this very significant difference in the quantity of justice and injustice, the quality always being equal, is not direct and absolute like on a graduated scale, 
but indirect and relative. And he invokes a mathematical idea here. He says like that of signs and tangents where there's a curve involved, but then he's going to give us some equations for that, which don't really jibe with that explanation. So, you know, we have to figure out where we want to go with this. He does provide some helpful examples. So he says, whoever steals a loaf when dying of starvation commits a wrong. It is a wrong. It is an injustice, right? But how small there's the quantity his injustice is when compared with that of a rich man who in any way defrauds a poor man of his last possession. One of these is very significant in terms of quantity. They're both equally wrong from a qualitative point of view, but they're not equally wrong from a quantitative point of view. We can say that one is at least quantitatively, objectively worse worse, objectively more unjust than the other. And given the equations that we have, we might even be able to directly compare these against each other, not in the like sine waves or tangents or things like that, but with basic arithmetic. He also has another example, which has to do with justice. The rich man who pays his day laborer acts justly. Good. Qualitatively, it is the same as any other action. Paying your work people, paying your employees what they deserve is doing the right thing. It's easy for you because you got plenty of money, but it's still the right thing. The poor man who voluntarily returns to the rich man, the purse of gold he has found is doing a much greater justice quantitatively again, than the rich person who is dispersing funds properly or something like that. So Schopenhauer is going to go on and he's going to say, we can actually come up with a measure for this. We can come up with some formulas, or you could even call them equations if you wanted. And it's very interesting to see how these are set up. So let's look at both of these. We have injustice and we have justice. And both of them involve a kind of operation of giving some numbers and then doing some division. So they could each be understood as kind of ratio which then could be compared against each other. Injustices could be quantitatively compared against each other. Justices could be quantitatively compared against each other too. So how do we figure this out? So let's look at injustice first. The injustice, the amount, the number of injustice is that of the evil that I inflict. And so we're going to quantify this. We got to come up with some sort of number. Maybe we talk about the damage that's done to the person, the freedoms that have been taken away, the property that has to be replaced, the degree of honor, something like that. So the evil that I inflict on a another person divided by the amount of advantage that I thereby attain, right? So if I am obtaining a significant advantage, we'll take the man who is starving and procures a loaf of bread by stealing it, right? This is an age-old example, by the way. And as a matter of fact, some moralists like Thomas Aquinas would say, the guy's not even stealing. 
Schopenhauer is willing to say he is stealing, but the amount of advantage that he's getting keeping himself alive is very great. Whereas the evil that he's inflicting, the baker loses a loaf of bread. The baker has plenty of bread, right? They may actually throw away some of the bread at the end of the night. So they really didn't lose much of anything. Maybe you could say, well, what about if you know somebody came along and was going to buy that loaf of bread for a lot of money? Okay, well, then we would change the numbers, right? So the evil that is inflicted divided by the amount of advantage, it's going to be a pretty small number. Now let's take the example of the rich man who takes from the poor man his last possessions, throws him out in the street, takes his food, burns his clothing, something like that. The evil that's being inflicted is significant. What is the rich man getting from it? Maybe you could say, well, he enjoys himself. You know, there's this motivation of malice. He really gets a kick out of throwing people out of house and home. Still going to be a pretty small amount of advantage. And so the amount of injustice here is going to be a large number divided by a small number as opposed to the converse. And there'll be a lot more injustice in doing that. And you notice if we change the numbers on either side, right? Let's say we try to minimize the amount of evil that we inflict. We thereby lower the amount of injustice. Or if it has to do with things where I say, well, I have to do this because I have to provide for other people, then maybe the amount of advantage is greater. And if we're doing bad things like bullying somebody just to get a kick out of it, well, that's probably going to be a lot of injustice, right? Because the amount of advantage is pretty small. What about justice? So justice, we look at two other factors. And here it gets quite interesting. The advantage to me that I had to pass up, or the way that he says it here, the advantage which the injury to another would bring me, right? So if I weren't going to be just, if I were going to be unjust to this person, what would I get out of it, right? It's sort of like the amount of advantage that I attain. Then it's divided by the amount of harm that the other would suffer were I not to behave justly. So look at these two examples again. The rich man who pays his day laborer acting justly. There's a positive there, right? They could have pocketed the money. They could have not paid them. They could have taken advantage of them and said, get out of here. You know, you did the, the gardening, but I'm not going to pay you for it. But we know rich people who do that sort of thing, right? The advantage is pretty small. If you're already rich, not paying a workman is not going to make that much of a difference to your pocketbook. But the amount of harm to the other person is significant, right? And so the advantage is fairly small. The amount of harm is significant. So therefore, you're going to wind up with a small number of justice that is being done. What about the poor person who sees the rich person drop their purse in the street and got, say, 10 years worth of their wages in it. They could pick it up and keep it and they could live off of that for a long, long time. It could help them pay their debts. It could provide for their you know, spouse and family. So the advantage that is passed up is quite significant, right? And the harm that the rich person would suffer, it would be some losing your purse in the street, but the rich person is rich. So unless, you know, it's filled with their entire life savings, the amount of harm is not particularly great. So it would be significant justice. This allows us to compare 
instances of injustice and justice against each other in a quantitative way. And let's remind ourselves once again, as Schopenhauer says, qualitatively, it's either just or it's unjust and all justice or injustice qualitatively is the same. But this quantitative thing is very, very significant. And that's why he brings it up. There is one other factor that he highlights as well. And this is what he calls a double injustice. It says there's a double injustice specifically different from every simple one, however great. And this raises the amount of injustice. He says this is seen through the amount of indignation of the impartial witness, the person who sees it and they're like, that is wrong. That is BS, right? He says it's loathed and detested as something revolting and outrageous as a monstrous crime. What is it? He says it occurs when anyone has expressly undertaken the obligation to protect someone else in a definite respect. Consequently, the non-fulfillment of the obligation would itself be an injury to the other person and thus a wrong. But in addition, Here's the doubling. He now attacks and injures the other person at the very spot where he should protect him. So he gives some prime examples of this. When the appointed watchman or attendant becomes a murderer, you're supposed to protect this person. You kill him instead, right? Where the trusted custodian becomes a thief, where the guardian defrauds the ward of her property, the lawyer prevaricates. The lawyer lies, right? The judge allows himself to be bribed and the man asked for advice deliberately gives some dangerous and pernicious counsel. And he says, all of these are types of treachery. And then he invokes Dante and he says, you want to wind up way down there in the, the very bottom of the pit? That's the way that you behave. So that is one way in which the quantitative level of injustice can be raised significantly and attain a higher Number. So this is how Schopenhauer thinks that we can quantitatively distinguish between the more and the less when it comes to justice and injustice. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.